Hi, everyone. Um, so thank you so much for joining us today. We are really looking forward to hearing from our expert panel on the topic, which is obviously about what B2B buyers care about right now. Um, so again, a huge welcome. Obviously, um, in the pandemic, there has been challenges with sales. So it's really good that we can get together and learn some new tricks um, in, in the business to business arena. So I'm your host for today. My name is Alison Edgar, MBE. So first of all, I'm going to hand over to Owen Williams, who's going to explain um, who he is and what he does. Over to you, Owen. Okay. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Owen Williams. My business is called Dreamer. It is a B2B sales consultancy. I've worked in B2B sales for almost 20 years uh, as a salesperson and as a sales leader. And I'm aiming to essentially pass on the benefit of my experience, my advice, uh, the mistakes I've made as well, so that other people could learn and uh, develop high performing sales functions. Excellent. Oh, good old lift pitch in there, Owen. Boom. Um, perfect. <laughs> Over to you, Matthew. Can you introduce yourself? And uh, thank you again for sponsoring this event. Yeah, no problem. So my name's Matty Hall. So I actually work for Lead Forensics. Um, I've been invited today to share maybe some of the successes that I've learned through the business. Um, working in sales myself, um, enjoy sales, have been in different national and international sales companies um, and just happen to be working for Lead Forensics at the moment. Love it here. And I'll share yeah, how I'm doing and um, yeah, hopefully answer some really good questions that you've got for us today, Alison. Perfect. Thank you, Matthew. Chris Murray, over to you. Thanks, Alison. My name's Chris Murray. I'm uh, the managing director of Varda Cruz and Lucam House Limited. Uh, I'm the author of a couple of books, including Selling with Ease, uh, The Extremely Successful Sales Club, and Five Point Prospecting. I have a podcast called The Extremely Successful Sales Club, where I interview wonderful people like Alison Edgar and, and, um, and, and hopefully in the future, the, the rest of this panel. And um, I spend my time popping around the world whenever I can, not at the moment so much, and delivering sales training to um, to rooms of between ten and 500 people. And I absolutely love it. Can't wait to start doing it again. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Todd, over to you. Thanks, Alison. Hi, everyone. My name's Todd Mumford, and I'm CEO and founder of Riverbed Marketing. We're a B2B marketing agency that focuses on uh, accelerating revenues and growth for uh, small and medium-sized businesses. Todd, I'm going to stay with you. Um, thank you for that. So, come on, it's the $6 million question. What <laughs> do B2B buyers really care about right now? Sure. Well, I think um, I think first and foremost, the pandemic has changed a lot of things with the, the landscape of how people purchase. And I think one thing that's changed is this um, and the theme we see all year is the push to self-service. And you mentioned it in some of the questions that we wanted to bring in. Um, I think B2B buyers really want to be guided and, and educated intelligently and honestly. I think that's always been the case. Um, but I think they now, more than ever, want to self-serve as much of that experience as they can on their own terms. And I think that just speaks to that long-term trend, Allison, we see of people wanting to self-serve a larger and larger component of the customer journey is about that marketing experience. And so much of this is about how do we integrate that marketing with that human touch that we know that we need um, to really close and complete sales. I also think that um, people are increasingly looking for to access education in a wider range of formats. Um, obviously video has always been big, but video is just blowing up now. Um, and becoming sort of a common place out there. And I think um, what I see more as a trend that's really emerging is people want even more clear and objective, quantifiable proof that the solution that, they're, uh, that they select has the high probability of solving their challenge. In other words, people are looking for more and more proof uh, as businesses get even tighter and tighter and better at their messaging that you're the one that they should go with. So just to recap on that, honesty, integrity, self-serve and proof are the main things that we think they're taking away from your end. Todd, Chris Murray, over to you. What are these buyers really caring about at the moment? What buyers are really caring about at the moment um, from having conversations on both sides of the table, I'm hearing buyers say that they are increasingly time poor with regards to starting again after the pandemic. You know, most most people and business to business buyers are not immune to this. You know, they're working with businesses where their teams have been furloughed, some have been made redundant, 
Um, everybody is really tightly constrained by what they can currently do and what they have to achieve next. And I think what they care about right now is making sure that they can kick off properly and that people don't waste their time. If you are in the business-to-business -business sales environment, bear in mind that everybody's coming back in survival mode. And what they care about is making sure that those nearest and dearest to them, including the people they work with, as well as the people at home, have a future and a successful future and a stable foundation. And what they care about is talking to people who can deliver that for them. So you feel that there's more of a like post pandemic. I'm, I'm so optimistic. Post pandemic, that um, more of a holistic, really genuinely caring about the people in their teams and also their families. So that's another thing that they're really caring about, which is a knock-on effect to their time. Is Absolutely. what I'm taking away from that, Chris. Perfect. Okay, Matthew, over to you. Yeah. So I suppose just working in sales on a day-to-day -day basis at the moment, I've noticed from pandemic, like from number one like buyers were just not wanting to do anything. They were not willing to commit. Going into number two, buyers are very cautious in what they're doing, but they're making strategic decisions. So we have to be quite factual in delivering good ROI, like relevant information, like issues or pain points that we found within the business, but they're willing to commit, which is perfect. Like they're willing to invest money because they cannot let this pandemic that we've had affect them again. They cannot allow it. And if they do, they're going to be the businesses that are going to be left behind. So, like, they need to be cautious. But additionally, they're willing to invest because they want to do well coming out of this pandemic. So just to sort of summarise, then, what you're saying with that is, like, you've seen a shift between the different <laughs> pandemics. So pandemic one was quite a lot of caution. Now they're, they're, they're happy to invest, but as long as they're getting an ROI, so they're looking for more proof of investment and what they're going to get back. Is that is that what we've said, Matthew? But, but they're willing to invest now. They're absolutely willing to invest, yeah. We love that. We love it when they're willing to invest, don't we? Uh, Owen, over to you. Same question. You know, what are the B2B buyers really caring, um, caring about at the moment? Yeah, well, everything the guys have said so far rings true. Uh, what I'm finding is, first and foremost, they're concerned for their jobs. Uh, so many are losing and have lost their jobs uh, and are at risk of still losing their jobs. There aren't there's a higher percentage of, uh, of businesses that are underperforming and at risk compared to, to those who are doing really well. So first and foremost, most of them are, are concerned for their livelihoods. Those who are within good businesses, businesses that are still performing well, I, similar to Chris, have been speaking to a number of, of buyers and, and as a salesperson, sit at the other side. Um, the savvy experienced ones are doing what they can to maintain solid relationships with their best suppliers. Whereas, and I've been on the receiving end of this, um, the junior, less experienced ones are seeing it as an opportunity to try and squeeze their suppliers, citing the pandemic as a reason. Um, I can understand that logic, but they're obviously not wise and not thinking longer term, those people. So there's a difference in, in levels of experience and attitudes towards how they're approaching their jobs and protecting supplier relationships. So just to try and summarise that. So the main thing that you're seeing is protection of the jobs. But depending how long somebody's been in that role as a, as a buyer, the ones who are a wee bit longer in the tooth are looking to maintain that because they, they know if they screw the supplier too hard, then they'll affect that. Whereas you see less experienced are trying to screw the suppliers down a little bit on margins, which has that knock on effect so that they can potentially protect their job. Is that how you would say yeah, that? That's, that's exactly it. Great summary. Good. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, right. so the next sort of topic that we, we said we would cover is the growing demands for B2B for e-commerce and self-service. So fed, feeding into what Todd said, he's been able to see that actually that's one of the things they care about. So, you know, to feed into that further, Todd, I'll come to you first. So uh, how do you think the growing demand for e-commerce has affected the business-to-business -business landscape? How has that affect, affected business-to-business -business sales? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I like what I see a lot of is B2B marketers and leaders shifting all of their content strategy to serve a larger portion of the of the customer journey. So people are saying, how can we build interactive video? How can we build 
a, a personalized segmented experience that speaks to the buyer and their real needs. I think that I think there's even more effort, um, Allison, um, to dive deep into customer research. I see um, B2B marketers jumping into one to two month um, forays before they even start doing their marketing jobs. Um, they're really just acutely understanding the internal needs of those customers. Um, they're using more and more surveys. So I, I think I think the 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 trend of moving forward really will be towards self-service with that human personalized touch. And I think um, marketers are on the cutting edge of uh, having to determine whether or not things um, fit into their ROI bucket or not. And so another big trend I see there within self-service is like this understanding of what, and we'll get specific here, but like what is an MQL or what is an SQL? And um, we're having to re- kind of replay the whole playbook here because we're finding, you know, um, and Matthew spoke really eloquently to the funnel we see MQLs coming in um, pandemic one. We see MQLs coming in pandemic two. And they're two completely different things. Like they're non-buyers and buyers. So how do we measure intent? How do we help self-serve? And how do we gauge the quality of our content and understand if it's serving our customers uh, in a way that's going to move them down the funnel? MQL, I, I don't know if the listeners know what that is. So do you want to just explain what those um, are? Sure thing. So in the in the marketing world of B2B, we measure things in terms of a sales funnel. So MQL would be your marketing qualified lead, somebody who we believe is a good fit to speak to potentially to 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 market more to. And then we've got our SQL, which is someone who is qualified to speak to someone like Matthew or Owen or Chris. And I think um what what we're seeing is a paradigm where that entire funnel is changing, where we used to measure things by MQL and say, we've got 99 of these things in our box. So we're good to go tomorrow. And I think we're quickly seeing an, an evolution of that change where we can't be certain that those 99 are going to convert now or ever. So we need to be even better about understanding what the true intent is of our buyer. And Todd, from a marketing perspective, like in the B2B side, do you think that a lot more um, people are moving into like software trials? So do your trial and then there's the B2B upsell at the end. Like, you know, you look at Zoom or go to webinars or whatever it is. Do you feel that's a change in the trend that that has to happen now? I, I think in t- in technology and SaaS, which is the areas that I explore most, I think you see that the split of that. I think you see those those organizations that ha- have high sales and long sales cycles, and I think they're forever going to be driven by the human experience. We always need humans to be involved in that experience. Um, but I think uh, more and more SaaS and tech companies are building their models around self service, so that a larger part of that can be served uh, earlier in the funnel. I'm sure the listeners will be really pleased that they're not getting replaced, that there's still a place for (laughs) the human in this process. Uh, Chris, the same question to you. How do you think the growing demand for e-commerce and self-service has changed the the B2B landscape? Well, I'm going to be a a little more negative on that. (laughs) Listen, there was a a report that was done by Forrester a couple of years ago, and um, without just throwing a load of figures at you, it predicted that 22% of business-to-business field sales bods will be um, replaced by search engines, never mind tech, by, by, by over the next 10 years, you know? And, and, and that report was a couple of years ago, so it, it, we're on our way. The, the, the era of the business-to-business salesperson, and I don't mean to upset anybody here, but you've got to be honest with yourselves, and because I, I see thousands of salespeople every year, it's, it's not like I'm, I'm 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 doing this through theory. You know, the the era of the salesperson who could dress, speak, and drive is over. The, 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 if if all you're being all you're being employed for is to be sent out to pick up the order, it's automated. You it's it's not required anymore. You you really got to polish up on your skills. You've got to. You, you, number of salespeople that I still meet that don't read or don't listen to podcasts or don't try and improve themselves is, is, is frightening enough because it's, you know, that's the job of the company. And, and when the, and when the company does send me, I don't think I should be there anyway. You know that, that there's so many people that are still like that, that if, if we don't recognize, and this is, this is not an age thing. There, there, this, this, this is young and old. When, uh, when I was talking before about, about the younger buyers ready to screw people over and the older buyers wanting to build the relationship, that happens in sales as well. There's the, you know, everybody in the twenties wants to be the wolf of Wall Street, and everybody in the fifties w- w- wants to keep the relationship going. You know, and 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 so I think 
if you can recognize that you're part of the job and part of the sales where you start in the sales funnel now and marketing funnel is not historically where it used to be it's a lot earlier you can't you can't just expect marketing to do all the marketing for you you have to implement some level of trade marketing and customer attraction focus on your customer attraction techniques and skills and recognize that this has become much more of a hunter than a farmer job because um, because if you are not bringing in the business that's already coming in then you're not actually earning a wage sorry to be negative about it but it's it, you, the brutal it's going to get worse it's going to be like the hunger games next next three months when everything picks up people are going to be running to the island picking up a weapon and trying to survive if you do not know how to find new business and convert it you may be one of the people who who's face comes up on the big screen <laughs> so um the hunger games love it so can i just recap on that so you feel that now with the change because of what we've gone through in the pandemic and because of the self-serve models that we now have that the old farmer job the taking the orders and the building the relationship stuff can actually now be done through automation and your sort of top tips is that it will become more competitive over the next few months people do need to learn to be able to prospect and actually find new business. And the way to do that would be to educate, listen to podcasts like this and really continue to educate themselves so that they're actually, so it's a bit like survival of the fittest, isn't it? That's a, that's to summarize it. Well, account yeah, account management will still be important, is still important. Relationship building and, 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 and nurturing relationships is incredibly important. People need to feel loved and helped and wanted. That's but anything that was that could be sorted out by AI or automation will very very quickly in the next two to three years. I would say that quickly, um, every, people will invest in that. And and it. Why wouldn't you spend twenty thousand pounds on automation rather than keeping two? people in cars at 30 grand each so are you telling us all to think like katniss everdeen that <laughs> take away from that <laughs> let's take katniss everdeen right okay yeah. so um thank you so much i started to feel i first started to feel like president snow just there actually but there we go <laughs> <laughs> so just to move on to the next topic so the next part on the agenda that we mentioned is the effects of understanding um the buyers can have on your sales so it's that deeper um understanding um, so the question is, how can you, um, how can understanding or not understanding your buyer affect the sales results? I'm going to come to Matthew and then I'll go to Owen. So um, how can understanding or not understanding your buyer affect your sales results? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a good thought. And, and actually, this flows quite nicely into that first question, because if we think of self-serve initially, like self-serve type websites, um, we're not going to get a true understanding as a salesperson. I won't get a true understanding of an individual, of a company, of what issues they've got, of what pain po points that I can uncover and how I can produce to them a solid ROI on the investment that they're about to, you know, lay out. So for me, I have to understand from an initial outlay when a sales qualified or a sales lead comes through to me, I need to spend half an hour researching what that individual wants, needs what marketing they're doing, what sales um, CRM have they got, what, what's their sales team look like. I have to know all that information prior to the call because, to be honest, they're the sorts of questions that I'm going to waste half an hour of that client's time that I'm going to speak to because the information is readily available to me. So really I need to be targeted questioning that within five to ten minutes I can find out why, for me it's lead forensics, why our product why our data set is going to support their need. Because at the end of the day, knowing that you're doing Google AdWords at the moment is neither here nor there. I know you do it because I can see it if I search for it. So questioning like that these days is just not needed. So I need to know from literally before the conversation, I've already got in my pad a list of known information and a list of unknown information. And as long as I can get to the end of my meeting with that person, a need and a requirement on my next follow up call, I'm going to give them a solution. I'm not going to do it on that first call. I will come back to them with a solution 
and I'll show to them and I'll prove them the ROI. So when it comes to that close call, it's just a positioning the price to them. That's all we're looking to do. So for me, it's like, does like understanding the buyer? Absolutely. If I do not understand my buyer from that first call, the business should go to someone else because I haven't done as a salesperson, I haven't done my job correctly. So that's, that's a really an interesting one as well, Matthew. So to summarise that, um, and I, again, you would if people are trained salespeople, they'll know that yeah. doing the research is one of the fundamentals. But Absolutely. what you're seeing here is pre-pandemic, what was like the standard of um, doing the research has gone down even further now, fitting in back into Chris's time, time factor that is a concern for the buyers that you have to go deeper in where you're prospecting it. So we're saying that the days of winging it are all gone now, Matthew. Is that what we're saying? There's no such thing, is there? And uh, Chris, absolutely there's no such thing. And Chris, I agree. Upskilling yourself, I need to make sure the Pareto's law, I need to be in that 20%. I have to be. I have to be at the top of my peak performance on a daily basis. And if I'm not doing an extra 1% or 2% than the sales guy beneath me, then I'm not doing enough. Like, I have to ensure... I'm upskilling myself on a daily basis that when I'm up against a prospect in front of me, I am fully armed and ready to question well to them that they think they're the making the right decision at the end. And we can both come off comfortable that they've made a right decision. That's where we need to get to. So, you know, like in answer to that is you're saying that it's not just important now, that it's imperative now. That's what Absolutely. I'm taking from that. Yeah, 100%. Um, Owen, I'm going to go over to you. So, again... How can understanding or not understanding your buyers um, can affect the sales results? So feeding on from what Matthew said, what's your opinion on that? Absolutely. I, I wouldn't say it's imperative now. I'd say it's been imperative for a long time to understand your buyers. You know, reading the question when I saw it, I thought, that's a pretty obvious answer, isn't it? Uh, but I understand we've got to expand on it. So, yes, it's very simple. If, as Matthew has said, I might repeat a lot of what he said, if you don't understand your buyers, how can you position yourself properly towards what they need? Um, I come from a background of, of selling product, box shifting, a highly commoditized product. And so the product itself was already sold, recognized brands. You know, We didn't have to sell the product. We had to sell ourselves as a business. And so was, that was very much about building relationships and understanding our buyers, our customers, on a professional level, on a personal level, what makes them tick, what do they need as their, as their business, what do they want from their best suppliers. Um, essentially, how can I close you to use me over the other choices that you have available? And you do that through skillful questioning, uh, research very much, yeah, and, and within research as well, I think Matthew was pretty much alluding to it, but it's not, you don't go to a meeting and it's a recognized sales strategy. It's go to a meeting, ask open questions. But if you're asking open questions where the answers are easily found in the, in the public domain, then you're wasting everybody's time there. And so you're not drilling down. And that's as Matthew was saying, I'm sure he gets all of that research done. Everything I can find in the public domain. What can't I find? That's what I'm going to ask in this meeting. Sensible questions so that I can really get to understand you, understand what you need from me and therefore present a solution to it. It's interesting um, that you see that because, you know, from a sales training background, it, it does seem, and I think when you become immersed in sales for such a long period of time, it does come that that should just be common sense. But it is amazing out there the number of people that don't do that. Yeah. So again, yeah. there'll be people in the audience who, um, you know, maybe do it to a certain extent, but really... Uh, the thing that I'm taking away from both of you guys is like, don't waste your time asking the questions that you should have actually known already. Go in deeper of what that means to the client and how that affects them or, you know, what, what's going on. So it's the deep dive open questions. Use your time wisely is what I'm getting there. Todd, do you want to add anything in on that question? The gentleman said this no? really well. The only thing I would add to that is um, I agree with Matthew 100% that um, pre-market intent data and and any in-market intent data is huge. And um, as salespeople, I, I'm not on the sales side of things, but of course I work with a lot of salespeople. Um, your role is to be 100% on top of your homework. And the more data access that you have, the more technology that you have at your disposal, the better you're going to fare. 
I think that's really interesting as well, Todd, isn't it? Because the marketing departments, although I come from the other side of the fence, you know, the, the, the good side, the light side of the road, the sales side, the marketing departments now and the tools that are out there really give you a lot of that data. And, you know, if you've got a good CRM, it's really easy to access that all in one place. And I think that's the thing now from a sales perspective, if you're not, you know, getting access to that information, that's where you really need to work closely with the marketing department to ensure that that's all documented. So I think that's brilliant. Okay. Um, so the next section that we said we we're going to cover on the, the brief was adapting sales and marketing techniques to align more closely to the buyer's expectations. Um, I'll come to Todd first. Um, how do you adapt the sales and marketing techniques to align more closely to the buyer's expectations? So what's your thoughts on that? Well, I think during this time of pandemic, it's about clarity. I think Owen um, spoke to this a little bit. It's about positioning and differentiation. I think companies um, are having to take heavy looks at, at their differentiation and all their core foundational stuff and really ask themselves, like, are we telling the right story to these buyers as they come into first touch? I think so much of what happens later down the funnel in sales is really so influenced by what happens early in marketing and the story that we create around our brand. We need to be able to tell the right compelling story quite early, even from first touch and all through our messaging. So probably the biggest adaptation I see is marketing um, becoming friends and having high fives with sales. Like traditionally, a lot of the gentlemen here know, like um, we were, we sat in separate groups and, you know, we didn't really talk that much and we made bad jokes about each other. But really um, what we see now is this unification of sales and marketing so that sales meets regularly, regularly with marketing. And there's this feedback loop that's energetic and positive. So I think um, for all those sales leaders out there, go see your marketing guys lots. And for marketing, some new marketing teams I see live within the sales and marketing team. And I think that's kind of going to be a, a forever um, trend that we see happening. I'm taking about that. Sales guys, high five your marketing guys. Marketing guys, high five the sales guys. Um, Chris, so, you know, we talked there about um, the buyer's expectations. How do you know what the buyer's expectation is? Well, interestingly, um, I was having this conversation a little earlier today with a, uh, with, with a group of salespeople. Um, you've got to really focus on belief. Um, Belief in what you do. Now, forgive me while I take the long way around here, but salespeople, if, if to, to use a quote from Zig Ziglar, if, uh, if essentially, if it's a, uh, an exchange of feeling, if I can make you feel the way I feel about this, then we'll have a great conversation. Trouble is, most salespeople don't feel anything for what they're selling. They've been given a box to sell and they, and, and they get sent out to sell it and, and, and they feel quite happy after they've sold it. That's what they feel. Yeah. It's, they, they, I'm not talking about being product experts, although a lot of people like to be product experts, but being an expert about how your product helps mm. and understanding that to the nth degree. Matthew was mentioning before, it's just absolutely, you know, I'm going to come back with a return on investment and a solution. And, and, you know, and, and that's going to be my close call. That, I, I, it, was, it was ringing around my head when you said it. How wonderful. How many salespeople are actually coming to help you to do the thing that their thing does for you, you know? We're all somebody's customer and we're all someone's prospect. We should always remember that. Everybody knows how they want to be treated by, by a salesperson themselves. But once you've got the belief system, and I think one of the biggest exercises that all sales teams should undertake, and, and I'm, a, I'm always surprised at how far away they are from it when I'm in a room with them, it, and because nobody gives them the time to think about it, is how do you help people? And the people who you helped previously, what did they say about what you did and why did they like it? Because when you can become evangelical about the way you help people, you jump out of bed and you go and help them. You know, it's not a trudge. It's, 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 it's not trying to rip somebody off for the, for the money that you're asking for. It's helping them and knowing how you're helping them, and do it like an evangelist. There's, there are people standing, I don't know if there are at the moment, standing on Hyde Park Corner on the box, you know, d shouting out about uh, about about the uh, the good book. And th the ridicule and and, um, and 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 rudeness that they put up with from from passing tourists on a normal day to day basis is is horrific. But they they believe that you should be on the bus that they're on, and you're not. And, and, and so they're going to stand in a box and they're going to tell you about it. I'm just wondering, 
how evangelical are, 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 the, are the salespeople watching about what they do and how they help? Because if you can work that message in, then it comes back to what Matthew Noam was saying as well about, about the questions that you ask, because you're asking to help, you're not asking to sell anymore. Mm. So just to summarise that then, one of, you th one of the things that you think is the customer expectation now is actually genuine passion for what they're selling rather than more passion for the commission check that they're getting at the end. I, I think customers have a right to expect that if someone's going to come in and and um, and try and flog them something, that they're doing it for all the right reasons. Don't you know? Just go in and help people and charge accordingly for it. Don't go and sell me something that you're not sure what I'm going to do with. So, Matthew, bringing that back to you, based on yeah. the Hunger Games, <laughs> um, if 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 jobs are becoming more scarce for salespeople, um, how how can they have that passion if they're worried about jobs or how you know what's your sort of top tips because we've identified you that you're really passionate about lead forensics that came across how yeah. can anyone watching the webinar how can they how can they do that what, what's your top tip well firstly life is too short you have to ensure that you're working for a company firstly that you believe in because if you don't have that bit it will never come across. You will only sell, we called it the box or whatever, we will only sell the boxes and that's it. And if someone wants 10 boxes, we'll sell them 10 boxes. But if I can come back, like i give you a real example. I, I spoke to um, a client, like an old version of me many years ago, who said like, why do you need a product like Lead Forensics? And they say, well, we need new sales leads. And I'd be like, tick, our software does that. That's fine. Like, and then I work out, you know, ROI on the back of it. But questioning deeper now, you know, to say, well, why do you need those new sales leads? Why is that? And they're like, we're close to closing our company. We need them to actually survive as a business. Now, that's a very different, compelling reason to produce an ROI for the client. Because firstly, me as a salesman and, a, and as a man, I need to ensure that Fleet Forensics is the product for them because it's their business that they're putting on the line to invest in lead forensics in the first place. So like for me, it is firstly, is this product that we're selling, is it right for the customer? We have to ensure that it's right for the customer. Is it uncovering and is it overcoming the issues that that customer has explained to us? And if so, do we then produce return on investment? And if we do, in fact, ringing the bell that we do in the office um, when we get a sale in, becomes actually more of a emotional without the tears but more of an emotional experience because you are supporting a business from an individual point of view rather than a corporate point of view of just saying i've sold a product or a service to that business so yeah it's um love the bell always love the bell mm. right what a brilliant feeling um <laughs> i'm going to move over to you to go in a little bit further on that so um you know, we talked about maybe some salespeople have been on furlough and and maybe have lost the passion. You know, maybe that they've been they're struggling with things that are going in their internal environment. You know, how how can they regain that passion if anybody watching has actually felt they've lost some of it over the last year? Yes, uh, it's it's a great question and it's it's a bit of a I wouldn't say a disaster, but it's a very tricky situation for a salesperson in particular, because if they're not in the zone, they're not feeling passionate, then all of their communication reflects that. And people buy into that, they can feel that, and they're not infused, their customers are not infused, they're not looking forward to hearing from, you know, Joe who's about to lose his job and talks like this all the time. So, what can they do about it? Um, well, they could try and take on board some advice Chris was talking about, and upskill, learn something new. Yeah, re-energize, retrain themselves in an area of sales that they may well have trained in in, uh, in the past, but have just not applied it for some time. Um, look for different industries where they might be able to apply their skills. Find an interest. I understand it's difficult because people have bills to pay, and that's that's the trap a lot of people are in. They need bills. They have to pay bills. Money's tight at the moment. Is it worth me jumping ship? um it's a big big risk for people to take but if they've lost their mojo they have to recognize that in sales if they don't get it back quickly then they're only going one way and that's out the door um so they need to take ownership of it themselves and take control of what they can control 
So the first step to that would be just absolutely admitting that to yourself that you've lost your mojo and then go back and try and sell yourself as to why you should bring your mojo back. So the good questions that we ask as salespeople, we have to ask ourselves really to reinvigorate. And also I'm thinking, Todd, we need to get our marketing friends to give us the high fives. That always helps <laughs> us in sales. Um, perfect. Um, so we've got another few questions left. The next thing that we said on the agenda that we were going to cover was um, – the power of content and how to use it to impress potential customers. So again, more over towards the marketing focus. Um, like, so I'm going to come to you first, Todd. You know, what type of content is working best to impress potential customers right now? What kind of content should we be working on right now? Yeah, good question, Alison. I think we've all seen the rise of video and obviously like um, building up your video chops, things like explainers, things like zoom videos, things like in email videos and personalized sales videos. I think that can have an impact. I think things um, early, especially early pandemic, things like ROI calculators and fact sheets have been extremely helpful. And I think it speaks to Matthew's point of people's real intent to purchase, you know, um, and us trying to classify them in the sales funnel and say, no, there's some certainty that they're going to close next quarter. I think making sure that they take um, the best of the documents and the, the value proposition you have and the best parts of that company away with them uh, is, is really important. I think a fact sheet or those kinds of things are, you start to see a resurgence. We used to call these brochures and stuff in the, in the print marketing world. I think also um, anything third party educational and especially anything third party objectively educational where you're co-hosting a webinar, co-branding webinar with another organization that can actually speak to your value. I think people are more and more looking for that social proof. How do I really trust this company? How, you know, are they really going to serve my needs in the end? So social proof and, and, and video as well. I'm going to like, I, I can't help but move across to Matthew on this one because having gone through the lead forensic sales process, uh, it's one of the slickest sales processes I've ever seen. And one of the things that is a real gem in there is that ROI calculator. So can you explain about the ROI calculator? And, and for again, anybody that's watching or listening that doesn't do an ROI calculator, can you um, give them a couple of tips on how they can set one up themselves? Yeah, I mean, very, very easy ROI calculator that I used from day one before going fancy using algorithms on excel and equations and all this is is literally my product is x your product is y you need one sale in 12 months to pay this off like as basic as that can go like but almost on a, another term from that is as much as we look at net new opportunity from the lead forensic system net new visitors to a website that we can engage with Again, it's not always just about new leads. It's just finding out that issue and diving into that issue further to say, well, if you don't follow up on these, it's not actually about ROI. It's about losing the opportunity. It's about it going to your competition. It's about not serving that business for the next 12, 24, 36 months, whatever that customer's life cycle looks like. We need to reflect on ROI in both hands. We need to see, yes, you're going to generate money, but also the negative impact on losing that opportunity. You were talking about earlier that now when we're, we're dealing with customers, it's not just like, you know, what do you want to achieve? And a lot of them are, are in survival mode. So they might not want to spend money on certain products or services. So really looking at it, we can never guarantee ROI in a service industry. We don't know. But actually, that might be a way that people could could justify spending money that that they might I don't mean they don't have, but could be in the reserves because they need to keep the business going. That that having an ROI calculator would be a good tool. Oh, and I'm going to go over to you. Um, what type of content <laughs> is best to impress potential customers right now? So content based. Um, well, I'm personally focusing on building a personal brand. So my content, uh, which I'm primarily using LinkedIn for, is all done with the intent of identifying, or sorry, messaging my ideal customer profile with relevant messages for them. And I tried to follow a loose rule where relevant to something Todd was saying, the majority of my posts are educational, me giving away free tips. 
um, so that I ultimately could position myself to be seen as an authority, a thought leader. I don't like that term, actually, but you understand. And then every now and then interspersed with something a bit personal because it's a really, really key aspect. People want to understand people. Yeah, it's an old style adage. We buy from people, people buy from people. And so, so if people can see some personality, that's really yeah. helpful as well. So, again, even for people that are watching who work in an organisation, you feel that uh, having a lot a personal brand on things like LinkedIn, giving away a bit more about yourself helps to buy into you. And I must say, having an MBE has certainly helped my personal brand. Chris um, <laughs> Murray, um, I'd like to find out from you, because Todd talked about video content. Um, you know, one of the things that I see, a lot of people are still quite frightened of using video. They don't know how to use it properly. Um, what would your top tips be for any of the, the listeners around, you know, looking at video content? How can they overcome that fear of being on camera? Uh, well, funny enough, one of the guests on my podcast was a guy called Mario Martinez from Vangresso over in uh, in the States. And um, he gave me, a, we, we were talking about video because he, he, he does workshops on it and, and i was i was interested to find my find out myself what i was missing out on and um he said let's get over the elephant in the room that people sort of have all these anxieties about putting themselves on video he said well what are you like when you go for a meeting you know do you, what, do you have a bag on your head and the conversation went into a very strange situation I've, I've got this vision of everybody walking in with their own sales curtain you know just um <laughs> i'm maintaining the mystery you know just, this is it's a, if, if, when you're ready to sign i will reveal and, 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 and that's that's not how a meeting goes you want you don't sit outside going oh no what if they stare at me you go and have the meeting and you do what you do so I, I think the best bit of advice that I've heard for ages was, was from Mario, and, and that's basically recognise that you are meeting these people face-to-face -face already. Because you're putting it on video doesn't make that experience any more embarrassing. And, yes, maybe they can pause you or, 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 or rewind you. Just just don't send you mistakes, you know. <laughs> I've got a quadrants that, that we use with regards to content, and it's sort of like interesting and not interesting, helpful and not helpful. You know, and most people who send content, including video through, fall into the box of it's not very interesting and it's not very helpful. And, uh, and, and but it's designed to sell. And mm. I, I think if, if, if you go for interesting and helpful uh, and come back to that point again about knowing how you help. And, and, and when you say before about asking the question, uh, Matthew, about. Why, why do you want to use this? And they say, well, the company's about to, to close, you know? There, there, there will be people in that situation all over the world right now, and there will be people with solutions that can stop it from happening. Then he said, have a bit of empathy. I, I honestly believe that over the next couple of months, it's not going to be the, the meek that are going to inherit the world or, 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 even, or even the bully boy strong guys. I think it's the empaths. I think you understand. You understand how you help. And then, and then you send that out there. But don't if that if that involves doing a, a video of yourself, shoot it, get it on LinkedIn, and, and and whatever it is that you've got to say, get it out there and get it heard. Can I can I just say something as well? So yeah, carry on, Matthew. I should say I I like I'm not part of the marketing team, but I do feel I have to do marketing on a daily basis, even if it's one email to a prospective client that I'd like to work with. I still feel an email is a form of marketing to that person. So I've got two options here. One is a copy and paste exercise with a little bit of jiggery pokery to make it customized to an email. Or I use software that we can all have access to, which includes a video of me saying, hi, Chris, nice to meet you. I thought I'd drop you a little video rather than this like text document that you could have a read through. And I get, I'd say I get, 100% more inquiries. I have less time to do it. I, I need to spend less time creating the email. Um, I speak to more people, I get more opportunity, and I close more business purely by spending a few minutes getting over the uncomfortableness. Because to be honest, I hate being on camera anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, but, but get over the uncomfortableness and put yourself out there because you'll reap the benefits from doing it. You will absolutely reap the benefits from doing it because it will be a customized marketing piece that you're sending out that hits the nail on the head that instant time. And someone's going to think, do you know what? He spent a moment to do that for me rather than 
another email. Here we go. So it's well worth it. So doing something a little bit different and like to feed back into what Chris is saying about the empath, about the empathetic sale, that if you identify that somebody is really struggling, you have to find that passion to go out there and help them. And if to help you get over your discomfort or to help you get your mojo back, it's focusing on really striving to help that customer to get through this difficult time. That's what gives you the energy to be able to create those videos or take that extra step. So does that sort of summarize that last part? Yeah, it's, like I'm in, it's like I'm in sales. I struggle with the camera as well, Matthew. Really struggle. <laughs> um, so we are kind of coming up to time. I'm going to go around um, the room with a really quick, um, quick fire question. I'd also let everybody on the panel to see how the audience members can get a hold of you because you've given so much value and so much time that if they've got any further questions, they can reach the wraparound question, the quick fire round. Oh, oh now I feel like I'm, I'm hosting a quiz show, right? Okay, the quick fire round. <laughs> I always um, saw you on the afternoon telly. That's where I see you, Alison. That's where you should be. Absolutely. I'm like this woman. Not yet, but I'm going. Um, so the question is, one top tip, enhanced relationship with B2B buyers, what would it be? I'm going to start with Todd. Uh, spend a month with sales and your customers. Did you That's say spend simple. a month? Did you spend say spend a, whole a month? month? Spend a whole month legitimately speaking to customers about their real needs and, and, and spend a lot of time with your sales team. Okay, one month. Sales team, Chris Murray, what's your top tip? Uh, it's very quick. It, it's a word in Portuguese that has no um, direct translation in English. It's sordade. And sordade, the, the best way of it describing it, it's a longing for something that you're missing but because you don't know what it is, you never go looking for it. It's that thing you can't put into Google, what don't I know, right? And your customers are suffering with their own type of sordade, the thing that they don't even know they need you to help them with. When you crack what that is, you've hit the mother load. Sordade, there we go. That's a quick tip. Everybody get Google in that one. Matthew, what's your one <laughs> top tip? Just quick, I like that we all agreed that that's a genuine word. We all like went, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, my top tip, um, daily upskill around questioning. Oh, you, don't, yeah. you don't know. If you can't question it, you'll never get the right answer. So daily upskill on questioning. It's an oldie but a goodie, but so many people still ask closed questions, don't they? And I don't know. That's like, the, to me, that's the golden key. Owen, what's your top tip? To genuinely be interested in the other person. To be interesting, you first need to be interested. And if, oh, and if you're in sales and you aren't genuinely interested in other people, you're in the wrong game. I think that's interesting, isn't it? Genuine, that word, genuine. Don't fake it till you make it be genuine. Um, what is the first step to shifting the sales process from a cold call appointment booking, handing over to field sales to close the deal? So what's the first step in shifting the sales process? Owen, do you want to take that one? Okay, so yeah. the purpose of a cold call is just to establish the need that exists or whatever it is you have a solution for. And so you have to, in that cold call, uh, ask skillful questions to uncover the actual need, whether it exists or not, for your product solution. And then when it does, book that follow-up call. Good answer. Um, so there's another one here. It says, hi, excellent webinar. Well done, panel. Woohoo! Um, I have a quick question. What is the best lead um, uh, cadence workflow strategy? How quickly um, to contact a prospect and how many times um, and which channel seems to work best? So I'm going to, I'm going to split it into different questions. So the first one, I'll come to you, Chris. Um, what is the best lead cadence workflow strategy? Wonderful. Yes. Well, um, actually, that ties really nicely in with my new book that's coming out, Five Point Prospecting. But uh, the, I, uh, it's funny. Cadence is a, is a word that, that's used in the sales industry an awful lot, and, and you know, I, I deal with a lot of people who are, who are specialists in what they sell rather than calling themselves salespeople. And, and there's a lot of people who I work with who wouldn't know what a cadence was. And essentially, a cadence is, is a dance, a movement, and it's it's the game plan, it's the map. So if you um, here's the way I look at it. It should be like playing a board game. 
you should know where you are on the board you should know uh, i actually created a game in in my new book because i've been saying this for years and i thought i'll, I'll actually um I'll, I'll actually run with the idea properly and i created a prospecting game but you you don't play a game if you're playing snakes and ladders you don't you're going to go up a couple of ladders you're going to come down a couple of snakes but you don't throw the dice get a four and go i haven't finished you know you play the game and you play the game till the end and either someone beats you or you get there first but you keep you know where you're up to and you know what you've got to do next and you know what's ahead of yourself i think the best cadence game plan whatever you want to call it is is one where you genuinely um have thought up yourself for your own type of client and you know where you're on the board but also that you are consistent with each prospect so that you know whether you should be uh, chucking it in the bin carrying on to the end or or um, or going back three squares and doing something again so i i call that the kenny rogers strategy you got to know when to hold in know when to fold in know when to walk away and know when to run now there are a couple of questions but we are pretty much out of time so anybody that hasn't had their question answered we are going to go round the um the panel and they're just going to see how they can get in touch with you so owen how can people get in touch with you if they've got any further questions uh primarily through linkedin on LinkedIn, Matthew, over to you. How do we get a hold of you? Yeah, LinkedIn, Matthew Hall. Um, yeah, or email address is just my surname, first initial, hallm at leadforensics.com. Perfect. Chris Murray, how do we get a hold of you? And do you want to pitch your book? Successfulsales.club. That's the web address. Come and listen to a couple of podcasts. And if you like those, you'll, we'll get on like a house on fire and get in touch. Or LinkedIn. Perfect. Okay, Todd, over to you. How do we get a hold of you to find out all your brilliant information? Oh, thank you. Uh, just visit us at riverbedmarketing.com and go ahead and just uh, click schedule consultation or just reach out to me there. Happy to answer any questions you have. Thank you so much, panel. I'm Alison Edgar, MBE. I'm also rather easy to find. I wear pink and I am also on LinkedIn. So um, from behalf of the panel and everybody who has watched, thank you to Lead Forensics for sponsoring. Over and out from us. Thank you.